Hi, welcome to James Miller Lifeology, where you learn to simplify and transform your spirit, mind, and body. My name is James Miller. I'm a licensed psychotherapist and a composer. Thank you so much for joining with us today. Let's get started. Did you know that on jamesmillerlifeology.com, you can enroll in the academy I created for listeners just like you? I've created courses you may take at your own pace, which will help you simplify and transform your spirit, mind, and body. Enroll in one of the classes today. I have a great show for you today. I'll be discussing the importance of reinventing yourself. I'll also be interviewing W.B. Ward, who shares his own story of reinventing himself after his terminal prognosis changed. You all know me as a psychotherapist, but some of you may not yet know me as a composer. I currently have two albums which have been released. Think of both albums like books. Each composition is written like a chapter in a book. The first album, Consolation, explores a character's grief and loss. And just like in any book, the story explores a character's heartache and eventually he finds healing and hope. The second album, Restoration, explores a character's personal development. He has an awakening, and in that awakening, he recognizes all the things in his life which aren't healthy, and it helps him come to a place of restoration, being restored to something greater than before. You may purchase both albums on iTunes or any other digital music store. The names of the albums are Consolation and Restoration, and my stage name is James S. Miller. The name of the piece you're currently hearing is from the second album, Restoration, entitled Restoration. And now it's time for self-check-in. It's important for us to be able to separate between what our body feels like and what our emotions are. Sometimes we think they're one and the same, but they're really not. So just because you may have woken up in a bad mood does not mean you can't fulfill the responsibilities that you have to do today. And vice versa, you may have woken up today and not feel very well, but that doesn't mean that you can't be in a good mood. So on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 is the best you've ever felt and 1 is the worst you've ever felt. Go ahead and create those two scales for yourself. For example, for me, on a scale of 1 to 10, for my emotions, I'm feeling probably about an 8. I'm feeling pretty good. And then for my body, on a scale of 1 to 10, I'm feeling about a 6. I got some good rest last night and I'm feeling pretty good. So since I realize that both of my numbers are higher than 5, it means I'm going to be pretty productive today, not only my emotions, but also my body. So when you can recognize that there's a difference between what your body feels like and what your emotions are, it helps you recognize what you can change. Reinventing yourself. We don't realize that this happens all the time. For example, as we go through the different levels of school, we reinvent ourselves. Depending on the interests we have, we automatically will change. And that's just part of life. But what happens when a situation happens that's very traumatic, that's very unexpected? What do we do? Often we get stuck in what was as opposed to what is now. And when that happens, we continually wish the things we had before are currently in our life. Unfortunately, we are going to go through these types of things. Life happens. Sometimes we're blindsided by a divorce, a bankruptcy, a foreclosure, or even a sickness, and sometimes even a terrible accident. And with that, we feel as if we've lost something. And yes, there may be things that you may not be able to do or situations that don't allow you to be the person you were before, but that doesn't mean the next chapter of your life you're going to live in that loss. The point is, when these things happen, it's necessary to reinvent yourself. I read about this one person who was a marathon runner. He loved to run, but he was in an auto accident, and one of his legs was amputated. 
Of course, he felt his life was devastated. That was his passion. That's how he identified himself. But he was able to reframe the situation, and now he's a coach. Yes, is that the same as running? But he was able to take that passion that he had and reinvent it into something that he could do. That's the same type of choice we have in any situation we're in. We have to look at a new way to do something. Of course, there's a time of grieving. There's a time of loss to mourn what was. But if we get stuck in that mourning period, it then becomes a lifestyle. We continually have the thoughts of what if or if only. And in doing that, that keeps us stuck in the past and it does not allow us to live our life today. I'd really challenge you to look at the normal reinventions that have happened throughout your life that were commonplace. How did you change when you got married, when you had children? You had to reinvent your schedule. You had to reinvent yourself. All of that to accommodate the new version of who you are. So like I said, this is always normal. But now when something traumatic happens, we have to take that same natural progression and implement that, those same steps to help us reinvent ourselves to a new version of who we are. And by no means am I minimizing when someone goes through something because it's very traumatic and it's very difficult. But my point is, is you have a choice. Do you hold on to what was or do you look at the version of your life today and make that the new version of who you are? Yes, it's going to be different, but it does not mean it's going to be bad. All of this happens in your mind. Your perception about the situation determines how your future is going to be. Your future is bright. Your future is wonderful. The point is, you get to now decide how to reinvent yourself and to become the new version of who you are today. The choice is yours. Reinvention starts today. A quick example of one of the courses you'll find in the academy entitled Spirit, Mind, Body, The Perfect Triad. This non-religious course helps you understand how your intuition, or rather your gut, your logic, and your body all work together to help you overcome any obstacle you may face. Enroll in the class today. W.B. Ward is an entertainer who had to reinvent himself after experiencing two strokes. He is going to share his inspiring story with us today. Welcome to my show. Hey, thanks for having me aboard. It's such a pleasure. When I was looking at some of the information you had sent me, it seems like you have done a lot of things in your life. <laughs> it, it, there is that illusion. A lot of, since everything that I did was in entertainment, uh -huh. um, as in a lot of things in entertainment, one thing overlaps another. So this was one, if you'll forgive the uh, biblical phraseology, this is one case of where one thing begat another, began another, <laughs> another, and, on, sure. and so forth. Yeah. Yeah. And so it all links together. Now, when I was looking at some of the things, I mean, I saw that you were a mentalist. Yes. What, what exactly I, I, is that? Incidentally, I knew you were going <laughs> to. Yeah. A, a mentalist is a, and this is something that I was very straightforward with in my shows. A mentalist is somebody who will stand there and painfully, painfully lie to you for 30 minutes and make you make you love them for doing that. Um, it, it's, it's somebody who apparently reads minds, can, okay. can actually foresee things into the future and does, th does so using natural means. In other words, they're a complete fraud. But it's just a lot of <laughs> Sure. So that would be as far as you would, the way they're dressed, the way their actions are, and, and the facial responses when you ask them questions, which gives you clues to kind of figure mm -hmm. out what's happening. That is a way. Uh, there, there are many mechanical ways that can be involved as well. When, whenever you go to a uh, show where they say they're, say, uh, they're okay, like what, I saw some so-called psychic sisters one time doing what's called a question and answer uh, mm -hmm. bit. And it's something you can you can learn from almost any magic book. Uh, they would solicit questions from the audience. They would put them in a big fishbowl, and they would give an answer, and then they would draw a question. 
and miraculously any any answer they gave matches the question they would draw after they give the answer. And that's a simple one step ahead principle and can be done with total strangers and with very little practice. It, oh, interesting. Very simple, very simple to do. Wow. Okay, well, I'm sure that was quite fascinating. And as an observer of that, I would have really liked to have seen something like that. <laughs> it is interesting, yes. And so you took that that background and you wrote a book about it. Yeah, uh, it's you know, the, the book itself was not a resounding success. I, th- I think my mom, the publisher and the publisher's grandmother bought a copy. Oh. That, was a, that was about it. Uh, and the whole book was about yeah, how to spot a con artist, because a lot of the things and I mentioned this briefly just a second ago, uh, that people would purport to be genuine psychics or be able to communicate with your dead relatives and things like that. Uh, I'm sorry. It's just, it's just fraudulent stuff. Mm-hmm. How to spot them, how to even challenge them in some cases. Um, there was, there was a gentleman who, uh, and, and the guy's name escapes my mind at this time. He had, a, there was one gentleman had a syndicated television show called crossing over. Mm-hmm. And the only thing I ever saw this guy cross over was the line of ethics. And that was about it. The rest of it was all just what is referred to as cold reading. Um, I, I, I can, in fact, communicate to you uh, from some loved one who's passed on. Because, you know, once you nail down some things and you're able to give the person some personal information, who's to say whether you're right or wrong that my, my Aunt Bertha didn't say this? You can't, mm, that's you can't true, tell yeah. that for sure because Aunt Bertha's dead. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, but at that point, they've got them hook, line, and sinker, and that's when they start getting into your, your checking accounts. So mm-hmm. just, and they play off good. of your emotions as well. Right. So basically, it all boils down to if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. That's a shame that the book didn't do so well, because I think that's absolutely fascinating. You think that there'd be more of a market of that. Actually, uh, the, I, I know the exact reason why it didn't do well. Uh, it was The timing of it was just absolutely horrible, because when I, when I wrote it and then released the book, right on the heels of that is when we saw this dramatic turn in technology. And see, a lot of a lot of the things in the book had to do with things like that are called like paper hanging, for instance, like that's how to forge checks and things like that. In the time span of like six months after I published the book, the Internet comes along and all of a sudden the way that we communicate, the way we do business changes dramatically. Oh, wow. So okay. Actually, I should have done a follow up book on that to do uh, more up to quote up to date cons with the technology as it transferred the stuff I had in the book was accurate, but it was just not as applicable anymore because of the fact technology moved on, but the ideas still remain the same. And I preach this over and over and over. And that's right back. What I said a second ago, if, if it sounds too good to be true, I almost can guarantee you it is. Mm, okay. Well, that's good. It's good to know for any of the people listening out there who may go to some of those shows. Oh, it, it's it, it's just I can do nothing but just shake my head. <laughs> I saw that you also wrote an almanac. Uh, yeah. That, now, this is an ongoing. Uh, thing oh, OK. This is something I've been doing since 2001. Um, I, I, I started this uh, to promote the minimalist show. Actually, uh, I was wanting to find a way to establish a an email database of people that I could send emails to on a regular basis. So I started sending out these emails that were just a this day in history thing. And I just kept sending out these emails. And all of a sudden, I had all these all this data collected on mm. things that happened in history that were of trivial events. Eventually, I wound up putting those into books, uh, the book of January, the book of February, the book of March. It's a 12-book series called Ward's Daily Almanac. It's even turned into a, a daily two-minute syndicated radio program, which is heard on stations literally around the world. Oh, wow. By the Armed Forces Network and stuff like that. And this is another good example of what I told you earlier about how one thing begets another begets uh-huh. another. 
And after I had to close down the middle of the show because I could no longer perform it due to the strokes, uh-huh. um, I just kept up the almanac and just changed the focus of the website. Oh, that's really clever. That is really neat. Well, let's go, let's go right into it then, because you had talking about, you know, having to reinvent yourself. You've done all these amazing things, and then you had two strokes, and all of a sudden oh, your life God. changed. <laughs> Last week, I celebrated my 58th birthday. Congratulations. I, I thank you, and I'm so thankful for that on so many levels now, uh, because I'm 58. I have two strokes against me. I can only hope that life is not like a baseball game. <laughs> uh, yeah, I can no longer, now, as far as strokes go, I came out of mine pretty good. I, I count my blessings on that because I, I know an awful lot of people who've only had one stroke and they cannot talk anymore. They've lost a lot of control of some of their motor functions. Mm-hmm. In my case, the worst thing that's happened to me so far was I've lost all the feeling in both legs from my knees down. So I have to walk with assistance now. So from that standpoint, I actually came out pretty good. I see. Um, but I can no longer stand for like an hour and a half, two hours at a time to do a to do a full length performance. I do some real uh, short performances now. And now I focus anytime I do go out and perform now, it's in the form of like motivational seminars. And mm-hmm. I just tell them to just give me a bar stool. Uh, l- let me sit on that as I sit and yap at the people for a while. Um, and I can get away with that pretty easily. But because of the fact I became more sedimentary than what I was before, I had to kind of rethink the way I, the, the way that I did things. Mm-hmm. I kept performing because I kept on recording. So I'm still performing. It's just not on a live uh, a live venue as it was. Okay. Was. Well, that makes sense. Well, and then also just with, like, like you said earlier, with technology, your performances can reach a much greater audience oh, yeah. by the way oh, yeah. world so that kind of makes in, sense in 10 years ago there's no way i could have had a a, a recording studio in my little one bedroom apartment <laughs> uh, but now thank uh thank the good lord I, I not only can have that i actually have i have my own studio now so that's pretty awesome people that is actually amazing. come over and record in my in my apartment oh that's great uh, yeah the technology is such the quality is just absolutely tremendous as a matter of fact my uh while i was recovering from the strokes just to give me something to do i've always played musical instruments Mm -hmm. and just as a way of uh oh i guess you could call it occupational therapy i sat down and started recording some stuff on piano and i also threw in some orchestrations with my violins my cello Mm -hmm. uh, bass and did some doctoring on those through phasing to make it sound like an orchestra and the next thing i know i had seven uh uh, seven music cds oh my gosh that's Uh, amazing (laughs) it was just something for me to do because i was just bored to tears doing nothing but sitting around the apartment trying to recuperate from the strokes so that was just how i started on that wow how is it for you to have to reinvent yourself well, uh, tell you the truth, I was not even aware consciously that that's what I was doing. Mm-hmm. All I knew was, you know, I have to do something. I, I've, I've, I've always been a very active person, that have, have, whether I was performing in magic or uh, performing in circuses. I started when I was like 12. Um, I, I started performing in sideshows and that just moved on to other things. Then I spent about 25, 30 years within the commercial broadcasting industry, working in radio and television stations. So I've always been very, very active, and I just could not accept the fact I can't do anything mm-hmm. right now. So I just had to find different different ways of doing the, basically the same thing that I had been doing. Yeah, exactly. Well, I think sometimes people struggle with that because it's harder for them to move on to the next chapter. It doesn't mean that what they were doing is, has to change, but just the, the modality in which it was expressed has to change. And sometimes people can get stuck in that oh, and, yeah, really and not you, be able to, to really navigate their way out of that. And, you know, a couple, one of the things that I've, I had to go through some pretty bizarre things because 
you know, I told you about losing the feelings in my legs. Mm -hmm. As one of the possibilities of some of the things that I might be facing, the doctors told me there's a pretty good chance that I'm going to lose both my legs from the knee, knees down, uh, which um, uh, thank the good Lord, I haven't had to go through that. Sure. But for three weeks from the point the doctors told me that I went through this apartment living on my knees uh, because I knew that if I were to lose my legs, that's how tall I would be. So uh. I, I lived on my knees literally for two solid weeks, redesigning my apartment just so that I could be self-sufficient should that happen. I, and I didn't have to face that. Now everything's down at like a four-year-old level <laughs> <laughs> through, through my whole apartment. Uh, you know, but uh, still, it was actually a very learning experience. So I, I look back on that, and I don't regret doing that at all. Mm -hmm. the driving was the only thing that I really wasn't able to overcome. And I thought, okay, I'll, that's a bridge I'll just cross when and if I ever need to. Exactly. Uh, but oh. everything else, I was ready to go. Well, I really like the fact that you were that proactive because sometimes people can get stuck in that paralysis of, oh my gosh, my life's going to change. I may lose my legs, but you were able to just be proactive with that and just see what your life would be like should that should that happen. And most people don't have that resilience or that fortitude or that insight to be proactive in that respect. And, you know, I even redesigned the uh, two pedals on my piano. Um, so that I could reach them with the back of my thighs rather than reach them with the soles of my feet so I could still play the piano and work the work the pedals. Oh, wow. That's very inventive. No, I actually ought to patent that because I could. I, I just now thought about that. I thought, you know, hey, I could make a buck off of that because surely I'm not the only person that's lost their legs who yeah. likes to play the piano. That's not a bad idea. Well, there you go. And now it's on the show and now it's patented as far as nope, <laughs> no nope, one can take so, it. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> exactly. Well, what was happening with your emotions? Because obviously the strokes itself, anytime we have any type of trauma to our body, our emotional well-being, emotional hygiene changes significantly. Oh, How was it for oh. you when you went through all that? Oh, I got to tell you, it was devastating. I mean, when the doctors pretty much, they told me uh, after my second stroke, I was released to go home from the hospital, not because I was doing better, uh, but the exact words the doctor gave me was, you need to go home and, quote, get things in order. Oh, my and gosh. That's, that's a wake-up call. Um, the first uh, the first week I spent home, it was just utter despair. Mm. I, mean, I, I didn't talk to anybody. I didn't go anywhere. I didn't do anything. Uh, I had the worst pity party I've ever ever had in my life yeah well after the first week i thought okay uh looks like this is probably going to happen so for my son and my daughter at least i'm going to go ahead and get things ready mm -hmm. so i started preparing and then i noticed this this wonderful therapeutic uh result of that as i was getting things ready getting my documents my will was brought up to date i found a, i got a post uh not a post office a safe deposit box i put my things in there. I, I alerted people where that was. I have one person now with an extra key to my safe deposit box um, uh, so that they they can have access to all these things You know, when, when I go. Mm -hmm. uh, after a while, I realized something. That was nothing bad. That was not even depressing. That was what I called an advantage. Because James, really, between the two of us, we don't know what's going to happen. When Certainly. we get off here, we could go out and get hit by a bus or mm -hmm. get, get hit by a truck or something. What I had was a warning flag that, hey, believe it or not, you are mortal. One of these days, you are not going to be here. I am ready to go when, uh, whenever that does happen. Sure. And, and, and the back end, it gives you a peace of mind. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I would bet you anything, 99% of anybody listening to this is not prepared. Mm -hmm. So if, if there's any message that I can take out of my experience, it's the importance of being prepared, because I got to tell you, I've never felt so free as I've, as I felt once I had all that done. And as it turned out, they told me I was only going to probably survive for about two, maybe three years. 
Well, that was over, that was over eight years ago. Oh, wow. So, and I'm still ready. You know, so sure. I, I, I just had I just had a, a heads up, a kind of a warning call, as it were. Um, I was able to make those preparations. And now I, I just could not believe how much pressure that lifted off of my shoulders. Yeah. Once I did that, I would actually encourage anybody to do, the, to do that, no matter what state of health one may be in. So I think it's so difficult, once again, for the people who are, are left after someone passes away. Not only do they have to grieve, but then they have to figure out all the oh. probate. All where is this? Where is that? And that can just be so overwhelming. In some ways, it kind of takes away from their ability to fully grieve. Yeah, you're absolutely correct. Uh, about two years ago, I lost my older brother, and we went through that very scenario because his death was not expected. It was health-related, but we, nobody knew that his health was so bad that he was getting ready to pass on. Yeah. Um, and besides the fact that my mother is still alive, and she was also having to deal with this, uh, having to deal with the tragic of tragedy of you know putting a, a child in their grave, but we also had to go with the idea of, okay, we've got to relocate mom because she cannot be on her own because of her age. So mm-hmm. she's now in a nursing home as a result of that. Um, she was going through the mental process of grieving for her oldest son while yes. me and my little brother was actually taking care of all the arrangements. The one good thing that came out of this was I discovered my little brother loves to take control. And he came up and said, I want, <laughs> I want power of attorney. I went, hey, you got it. You got it. <laughs> no, no argument for me, dude. Yeah. Uh, so that was, that was my one blessing but uh, but yes you're absolutely right but if somebody passes and they're not prepared it really leaves a huge burden on the family it certainly does and of course they don't mean to but that's just that's just life because right. like you said most most of us don't even think about that that's absolutely true so the next step in your life so i found this very fascinating as well so you as you started to reinvent yourself and you realized you weren't as as mobile as you were before you started to uh, use your voice mm-hmm. use a thing that you could actually move quite well and that you could use quite well rather and you did something with it. What did you do? Well, I started I started recording audiobooks. And actually, probably a better way of putting that would be to say that I continued because I recorded one audiobook a long, long time ago um, and did pretty good at it. But I didn't pursue that from that point on because, A, at the time, the technology really wasn't there to network out to other authors. Mm-hmm. And B, because of the technology, making an audiobook was an extremely expensive thing to do. In this person's case, they had what you would call an average length novel, which when you listen to it, it's like seven hours long. That requires like six to seven different CDs. So you got packaging and yeah. inventory, and it's just a very expensive process. So I really didn't pursue it. Now, fast forward to, to present day, whole different ballpark. Mm. Um, uh, I, I record for uh, for uh, for a co- company called Audible. Um, when they post uh, a, a new audiobook online, and they are the world's leader uh, on um, on audiobooks, uh, they post it there. They post it on Amazon and on iTunes. There is no inventory because it's all played back on a proprietary player that you can download to any kind of a any kind of a device. And uh, forgive me if it's starting to sound like a commercial. I don't know. Oh, no, it's funny because I don't think you knew this, but Audible, they actually sponsor me. So I do a little okay. plug on, on with Audible on this on this show as well. So nice little cross. Uh, I know. Right. Uh, but, you know, they, they, they have that ability. So long gone are the days where you need to start thinking about pearl cases and mm-hmm. labels and, you know, things like that. That's just all gone. Yeah. Um, now I've, um, I'm working on audiobook number 28 right now. I'm, I'm oh, wow. I'm recording The Legend of Sleepy Hollow, uh, which is just a fun, fun read. Now, one thing that maybe people don't realize is not only is you just reading, but you do all the characters as well. 
<laughs> yeah, it's not like in a movie. In a movie, you got if you have twelve characters, you usually have at least twelve actors or actresses playing those roles. But in a book, you're the whole kit and caboodle. You've got to do every character, every voice, every accent, every continuation uh, of every character, and you have to remember all those. So oh, you, gosh. you either have a have to have a very good memory or very good at keeping notes. Fortunately, I'm good at both of those. Um, so I'm able to maintain uh, consistency with the characters and then have yet a third neutral voice, uh, which would be that of the narrator to tie everything together. Oh, wow. Uh, which really is kind of like uh, the reason why I like uh, doing some of the classics. I did a uh, an anthology of Edgar Allan Poe short stories, Ooh, which was just phenomenal. Not bad. I just finished War of the Worlds, uh, the original version. Now, like I said, I'm on The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. Um, those writers typically were narrative-focused and not a whole lot of dialogue, so theirs are a little easier to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I have one author, and I'm kind of I'm teetering as to whether or not I want to try this, but there's very little narrative and like about three million different characters to, the, to this book, so I know that one's going to be a real challenge oh, if gosh. I to take it. And for the most part, I can do it. Well, I, whenever I am doing it, the, the only real challenge is when I'm doing a female voice. Because mm. uh, if you're not careful, you can sound like Minnie Mouse. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that is really neat. Is that something that you found that's kind of more of your passion as of late? Uh, it's probably my latest passion. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a, I am a, by nature, a very passionate individual. And anytime I find something I love to do, I generally just dive into it head first. Like for instance, um, uh, I did used to teach instrumental music and although I don't teach instrumental music anymore, by golly, I, I still have one student, um, who, uh, comes over and takes violin from me. Uh, I'm doing con- uh, constantly doing custom arrangements for her. Uh, plus now I've started doing a lot of cello recitals for my mom at the nursing home where she lives. Oh, that's neat. So I'm also composing, um, instrumentals for them and recording backup, uh, uh, backup instrument tracks only not because I'm talented, only because I'm, I'm just as cheap as can be. And I refuse to buy any, uh, <laughs> and coming up in, in Christmas, I'm doing a, a Mannheim steamroller type, uh, uh, presentation, uh, which is also featuring one of our, uh, our concert viol- one of our concert uh, violinists from the uh, Tulsa Symphony um, at the uh, at the nursing home. So I, whenever I get find something I really love to do, I dive into it head first, and I I just tend to become very passionate about just about anything I do. Wow. Well, it sounds like after the stroke, even though you're not as mobile as you were before, maybe more sedentary, like you stated, it doesn't seem as if that's really affected you. That you're still just as exuberant and talented and and focused as you were before. Well, one thing that I have learned in life um, is is that life is nothing more than a salad bowl of decisions. And Mm -hmm. that's all that it is. If you, for instance, let's say you you love to. uh, Oh, I don't know. Let's 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 just say, for example, you love to work jigsaw puzzles. Uh You get home from work tonight. You go home and you find out that somebody took a torch and burned every single jigsaw puzzle you had. Your immediate immediate response, and it's you could consider it quite natural, is you're going to be pretty upset, if not just downright mad. Yeah, of that course, somebody did that. But if on the way home, before you got home, you stopped off and picked up a soda, and you bought a lottery ticket, and found out you were the instant winner of five hundred thousand dollars in cash, and it's tax free. That was another <laughs> part of the lottery. Well, that's pretty good. It's really good. Now you get home and find somebody's burned all your jigsaw puzzles. Eh, you're probably still upset, but it's not that big of a deal. Yeah. 
The, the only difference between the two scenarios is the fact that there is no difference between the two scenarios because the problem is the same. If there is a difference, it was the decision that you made when you got home. In the first case, you decided you were going to be mad. In mm-hmm. the second case, you decided, eh, not that bad of a deal. It all boils down on the decisions you made. After I had those strokes, I just made a series of decisions that put me on this path where I'm able to produce more than I've ever produced in my life. And even though I'm sitting down instead of standing up and staring at an audience, I'm still producing more now than I have ever done in my entire life. Mm. I think that's a really powerful statement because we often don't realize that the belief or the perception we have about any situation, it does affect our thoughts. When our thoughts affect our emotions, our emotions affect what we do. And the point is, is as soon as we recognize that something traumatic happened or just anything at all, we often have a choice. And many times people just are very reactive and they just go based on what they've done many times in the past. And so that's just a very reactive response as opposed to a proactive response. Absolutely. Life is whatever you decide it is. Mm -hmm. And one of the things with lifeology itself is we're all self-made people. You know, we can look at someone and be like, oh, they're so successful. Or we can look at people and be like, you know, I really don't want to make the same decisions that that person made. But the point is, we make those decisions all the time. It's just how often are we aware that those decisions are actually being made in this moment? And, and, you know, you used what I call the T word a while ago. And having been a performer all my, all my life, I often hear people referring to me as being talented. Now, mm-hmm. I don't want to take anything away from that because I know the good Lord gave me certain abilities that I have that not everybody can do. Mm-hmm. But then again, he did not give me the ability of carpentry or, or auto mechanics or any of the other uh, the other talents of life. But whenever somebody refers to somebody as having a talent, really what they're saying is you're referring to somebody who has a desire to do a particular thing, and then they pursue it. Mm -hmm. And that's really all a so-called, quote, talent is. Yeah, that's that's really true. And I think often many people think that they don't have a talent. But the point is, is we all have something. We all have, that's the great, in fact, I just did an episode, a podcast episode about this a few weeks ago, talking about our ability to all have something that we do, that we can do, that everybody can do many things, but not everybody can do everything. And so we all have our own version of what that talent or our own skill set is. I tell you one talent I wish I had more than anything else. I, I wish I had the ability to sew. (laughs) Um, I I am so bad at that. And I've tried it so many times and I just don't have that knack. And I would give anything to be able to do something like make my own clothes. Uh, But that's just not one of one of my skill sets. Writing, producing, uh, recording, performing, acting. Those are my things. And and I'm happy with those. Sure. I I kind of look envious at other people that are able to do other things sometimes. (laughs) But I'm I'm, I'm perfectly content for the position I'm in. It's a really good way to look at your life and recognize that we all. Once again, we all have something that, that we're good at and the grass is always greener, but you still have to cut it. <laughs> oh, I, the grass may be greener, but by golly, I still got a yard. <laughs> yeah, you certainly do. <laughs> That's great. Well, WB, it's been wonderful getting a chance to talk with you and hearing your story and hearing how you're able to reinvent yourself. And it sounds like, you know, once again, you're just as passionate, if not more so being able to produce things than you have before. So thank you so much for being on my show. If my listeners would like to find out more information about you, where would they find your information online? You can go to, oddly enough, wbward.com. Perfect. And they can find all your information there, all your books, all the things that you've been doing. Absolutely. Wonderful. Well, thank you once again for being on my show. Thank you. I also want to thank you, the listener, for joining with us today. Please subscribe to this radio show through whichever portal you joined with us today. Also, please visit my website where you may enroll in the Lifeology Academy, read my published articles, and watch all my YouTube episodes I created just for you. 
If you'd like to become a show sponsor or become a guest, please visit jamesmillerlifeology.com. Once again, thank you so much for your support, and I'll talk to you soon.